Good morning. Hey, Sunridge. You guys look good in masks. Oh, I just want to give a big shout out to the families that are here too, man. That's so encouraging to see the little kids here. I know that they're going to really enjoy my message. I know, I, I can tell you that uh, people have told me that um, I'm at least 3% better with people in the room. So <laughs> it should be extra good today. If you're joining us online, wherever you are right now, just give us a, give us a big shout out who you're with and what you're doing. And uh, we just, it's, it's great to have the body of Christ both be here and uh, out there in Cyberland or whatever that's called. Um, so thank, thanks for being here. I really appreciate all of our um, volunteers that are here this morning too. We wanted to open with you guys first and so welcome to you, a special welcome for the way that you've partnered with us over the years. Um, if, you, if you don't know anything about Sunridge out online, you know, we're a church that desires to bring hope. And certainly, even though our message isn't explicitly about uh, what's going on in the world today, we want you to know that this is a church that uh, desires to bring hope to the world and speak into the things that are happening. And we, we ask you, both Sunridge and, and our guests, to join us in doing that and bringing reconciliation to the world and, and helping us process all the things that are going on in our nation and, and even beyond. So uh, when we get started here today, I want you to join me in a little exercise, okay? So whether you're out there online or you're sitting in the seats right now, I just want you to close your eyes. And um, I just want you to think about the happiest moment in your life. Like it might have been after a great achievement or the birth of a child or maybe you're standing in the middle of Zion National Park. Whatever that happiest and most joyful thing in your heart was. I want you to think about that, and I want you to multiply that times a million. And then think about that being the 24-7 experience of your daily living. That's heaven. Now open your eyes. You're not in heaven. Sorry, you didn't die and go there. You didn't go like Elijah and just be caught up into the heavens. This is earth. And I don't know that any of us would mistake the heat of July in this valley for heaven, right? Not sure that we should do that. You know, that has to be kind of what the Israelites felt after wandering in the wilderness for nearly three years and finally arrived in the promised land. But you know, it wasn't long after being there or in proximity that they realized it wasn't the promised land that they thought of. Did you get what I just did there? In fact, I don't know if they said this, but I can picture them saying it. It's like, this isn't what I thought. It's not what I thought this was going to be. Maybe that's been something on your mind or something that you've even said. I mean, I didn't, it's not what I thought I'd be doing at this time in my life, in my church. I didn't think that my 401k at this phase of my life would be in this uh, situation. I didn't think that, the, that this is where I'd be in my marriage or that my kids would be involved in this or that this would be my situation. 
Promised Land, this new series that we're starting, it's about that. It's about that feeling or an impression that, you know, I kind of thought I'd be here and I'm not. I kind of thought once I got to this place, to my promised land, that everything would be flowers and butterflies. And this series is going to be about that feeling, but how God has been teaching us things in our lives, and in particular in the wilderness, and particularly in the wilderness, that has that prepare us to walk with the living God in the situation that we're in. And we're going to pick up the Israelite story as they come into proximity of the promised land in Numbers 13. And if you were watching us last week or you were with us last week, what is the book of Numbers about? About numbers. Thank you for all that participation from you that are here today. They come near the land in Numbers 13, 1, and the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So you notice that what they're doing is they're picking somebody from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, and they're sending them, uh, I would put the, the land, to explore the land which I am giving in quotes, right? Because it wasn't just a free-handed gift. And so they do some recon work, if you're familiar with that term. And in verse 17, Moses sent them to explore Canaan. He said, go up through the Negev and into the hill country and see what the land is like whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. And they do so. In fact, uh, if you're familiar with this story, the fruit is so abundant and so heavy, they have to carry it on poles. And so when they return from this exploration, they give kind of a general report. Verse 27, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey, and here is its fruit. But, verse 29, but... The people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. You know, this is the smallest word, but has the biggest effect on us. Say that word, but. If you're following us online, type that in the chat. But, three letters. But how many things have been missed? How many wonderful things have been dropped? How much potential has been lost because of this simple word, but? Now, Caleb, you're gonna, he is one of the 12 that goes to explore the land. He gives his perspective, and it contradicts what has just been said in verse 30. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, he said, everyone just be quiet, I have something to say. We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. And then 
The crowd responds, but the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. Now, can you see it coming? Can you see what's about to happen? And in verse 32, they begin to have more than just a disagreement or a debate about their situation. They have division. And in verse 32, those that were not foregoing into the land, they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. Just as a footnote, you know, why is it so often when there are two thoughts about a situation that it turns into this? They're not having a prayer meeting, trying to resolve it. They're not trying to talk it out. Instead, they spread a bad report. And in verse, or chapter 14 of Numbers, the story continues, and that night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt. Have we heard this before? Uh, Or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And then in verse four, they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Now, perhaps we should add new to this text because, you know, they already had a leader. His name was Moses. And yet, they want a new leader. They want to fire Moses. And by the way, the text gives us no indication of where Moses falls on this. But already, People are projecting their anxiety onto a person. You see, Moses is not the problem that they're facing. It's much bigger than that. And then Joshua and Caleb weigh in together in verse five in Numbers uh, 14. Moses and Aaron fall down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. And Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, they tore their clothes. This is a way of of just like expressing anxiety and fear and stress. It's like they don't know what to do and Moses and Aaron are falling down. They, They have all this responsibility and they don't know what to do. They can see everything unraveling before their eyes. And they said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. And then in verse nine, only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. So, of course, they listened to this impassioned and logical and faith-filled presentation, right? Verse 10, but the whole assembly talked about stoning them. If you've ever been a boss 
or a pastor, you know what they must have felt like. So here, here they are, they've traveled for two and a half years and wandered in the wilderness. And when they come to this place that they believe is the place God has for them, given the challenges in front of them, they fold. Their heroes are not listened to. And it seems that of the 12 that got sent into the wilderness, or into Canaan to explore, only two of them had really learned the lessons of the wilderness. So two out of 12, if my math is correct, and it may not be, is 16%. So I've, I've often wondered, is that when you see these kind of, you know, corollaries or ratios, like, is that the percentage? Is, is it only 16% of us that are actually learning? That's a little discouraging. So we won't think about that anymore. So let me just close the loop on this story. God and Moses have a conversation about this. We would call it prayer and listening to God. And there's a lot of frustration um, on, on, on God's side with his people and of course Moses being stuck in this position of leading them. It's kind of the same old, same old. And here's what God says in conclusion. Verse 29, in this desert, to, to the people that uh, did not want to take on the challenge, in this desert your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children, that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. But you, your bodies will fall in this desert. You know, that seems a little harsh, doesn't it? Different time, different, different situation, but basically God says, if you don't want to go in, I won't make you. I'll give you your way, and so you won't. So, it's a Bible story that many of you, if you were raised in church, you've probably heard it. What, what do we get out of that story? What is there to learn? Is it that, uh, like, you, it's made me recall, like, a song we used to sing in children's church. Twelve men went to spy in Canaan, ten were bad, and two were good. You remember that? Is it, anybody remember that? Well... If you remember that song and you're following online, you actually are a Christian, then would you just let me know that you... 16%, yeah, thank you. Is it a story of 10 good people, or two, 10 bad people and two good people? Is it a story about perseverance? Is it a story about wimping out when it gets hard? You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 that these things, the stories of the Old Testament, are examples for us. And really this carries back to the Abrahamic promise. And I wanna just look closely at that and then we're gonna move through some of the things from this story. But we've, we've talked about this and referred to this promise in our God Is series and some of the other things that we've done because it speaks into our time and why we're here. 
In Genesis 12:1, the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your relatives, and your father's house, and go to the land I will show you. You know this. It's like God asks Abraham by faith to leave where he is and go to a place that, he, that he's never been, but he doesn't know what it is. And Abraham does that. He says, I will cause you to become the father of a great nation, and I will bless you and make you famous, and I will make you a blessing to others. I will exalt your name, Abraham. And I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. And often we read this story, as did the Israelites, to think that this promise that was being given to them was all about a place, a land. What word appears most in these three verses? It's still up there. There's one even more than that. It's I. And who does the I refer to? The Lord. See, this promise was about who God is. It wasn't about the land. This, if this was a promise in Genesis 12 to just find land, then this is 400 years later. That's a long time to wait for a promise, right? It would be like God gave you a promise in 1620, and here you are in 2020. What is the real promise? The promise is that God desires to be in a covenant relationship with us. Anything that happens comes from him. And in fact, if you read through all the way to Genesis 17, you see that God is desiring a, an everlasting covenant with his people. And, the, and the, the end of this story, which you can't miss, you, you can see all the particulars of the story, but the end of the story is that the world will be blessed by this covenant with these people because they are an example. They're to be an example of what it looks like to be in a relationship, in a covenant relationship with God. It extends far beyond, beyond Abraham and beyond the Israelites. As Paul said, we are the children of Abraham. You see, the promised land was never really about the land. It was about living in covenant, in a promise, in a, in a guarantee with the living God. They are obsessed with the place. And often, we're obsessed with things like places and situations. In John 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's talking about that he's going to be crucified. And he tells them, don't be troubled. I'm preparing a place for you and when everything is ready, I will come and get you. And his disciples respond like, what are you talking, where is this perfect place? Just tell us, Lord. And in verse five of John 14, Thomas asks, we haven't any idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? Where is this place? Where, how do we get there? Just point us in the direction. And Jesus says in verse six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Often people will say, well, ask me, like, what, 
what does it mean to be a Christian? What, is it like I, I confess a certain belief or a creed or do, do I say a certain prayer? Do I get baptized? Do, do I join a church? Those are all kind of parts of the story. But the gospel is an invitation from God to us to be in a relationship with him to partner with, to live in a relationship with the living God. Is there a space that God wants us to occupy? Does he have a vocation for each of us? Does he have a thing that he wants us to do? Does he have experiences that we're gonna go, go through? Yes. Is there heaven in the future, a perfect place? Yes. But, God is far more interested in his place in us than the place he has for us. Jesus said that he is the vine and we are the branches. The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 42, one, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. You see, all of us, pastors included, we're all kind of searching for our promised land. We want our perfect place. We want to know that what we do is satisfying for our vocation, that it pays well. We want a steady income. We want our kids to be safe and healthy, and we want COVID to go away, and we want to get rid of masks. Amen. Amen. You came here. <laughs> we, we want our perfect little place and everything to just kind of line up. We're all vying for our promised land, right? We're looking for what is the promised land for us. But that mentality, the mentality of a promised land gives way to myths. I wanna talk about two of them and then we'll be done. The first myth is this. When we, think, when we think from a promised land point of view, it's easy to think that if something's hard, it must be wrong. Isn't that what the Israelites ran into? I mean, when we bump up against something that's difficult, we often think, well, maybe, maybe I did something wrong. Maybe, maybe God is judging me, or maybe he's judging others. And, you know, that certainly could be. God disciplines those he loves, but, but we also could think that, well, God let us down, like he's abandoned us. He's, you know, I thought I was gonna be here and now I'm not, so that's God's fault. We see that in the story as well. And then there's also a temptation with a promised land thinking to always look for the easy way. And so we're always looking to escape those, those uncomfortable situations or the painful things that we go through. And we just wanna find that place where we no longer have to lean on the promise maker. See, promised land thinking creates a myth in us that the promised land will be easy. And the Israelites exhibit this kind of when we get there thinking, have you ever done that? It's like, when I get there, it's going to be beautiful. It's gonna be perfect. When, when this thing happens, and they dreamed about when all their wandering and suffering would be gone, and now they're, now they're in this perfect place, right? Oh, this is the place that God intended 
for us. And now we have everything we wanted and we're sure to be fulfilled and to live out the beauty of following God here in this wonderful, perfect place. But, you know, they ran into a but. I want to be careful about this. That's a one T but. They're well fortified. The people are there that are there are powerful. But you know, there's another but, the Joshua and Caleb but. Numbers 14:9. But the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Protection, their protection is gone. We will swallow them up. And you see, like in this challenge, when they intersect this time that they thought was going to be easy you can see two mindsets emerge. There's one mindset that says, I just want the comfort of the past. I don't want another challenge. And there's mutiny in the camp over this. They're falling apart over the thing that they can see that is in front of them that they did not expect. And it, it's so anti their thinking of what was going to happen that they would rather go back to slavery than to face that. That's past thinking. But then there's another mindset that emerges that you see from Joshua and Caleb, and that's more of a growth mindset, that th this, is, this is where God has me, and I'm in a relationship with him, and the Lord is with me. And it's that mindset that allows us to lean into the one who is the promise. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4, 7, when he realizes that he's coming to the end of his life, he says, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. And he uses all these metaphors of struggle, fighting and running and holding to a creed. Have you ever, like, been trying to work out a math problem, um, you know, and there was something wrong in your formula, and no matter what, you redid the problem over and over again, but you kept getting the wrong answer, and what you realized later was, like, you wrote the formula down, or, you know, like, maybe the teacher gave you the wrong formula, and so you just keep getting the wrong answer, and sometimes I think that in following God, our, our thinking is flawed in the beginning. And so all of our answers don't add up. When, when we have a promised land mentality, we're always looking forward or backwards to the place that we are not in. We do this in our marriages. We, we get to a place and we think, well, you know, now I wish I wasn't married. If I, you know, happiness is on the other side of a divorce. We do it with our kids. You know, this is such a stressful time in raising children. I can't wait till they get to this point. Or, and we do it in our current situation with everything that's going on in the world. There's like, it is uncomfortable. It's scary. And we just keep vying for like things to go away. We worry, what if, 
What if the, Trump is still the president after the next election? We worry, what if he is not the president? We worry, what if the Republicans are in power? What if the Democrats are in power? And we worry about our church too. It's like, you know, why can't our church be like this or that? It's like, we're constantly looking for the next thing or the thing behind us. Can I remind you that the Lord is with us right now? For those of you that are here right now, would you just say that with me? The Lord is with us. The Lord is with us. Put that in the chat if you're following us. Because promised land thinking will make us believe that because it's hard, it's wrong. There's something wrong. But it, as we saw in wilderness, like sometimes God sends us right into the situation that we find ourselves. The second myth I would like to note is that we can, we can become so focused on the next thing that we miss the holy moment that we're in. Or we could focus on a past thing. As we've said, wasn't this something that the Israelites were to learn in the wilderness? They were pining away in slavery. Okay, we can give them that one, right? But once freed, they, they face challenges in the wilderness and they just wanna get through that. And then they come to possessing the land and there's all kinds of challenges with that. And then they're in the land and then they begin to look around as we'll see next week with Jed and we'll, we'll find that, you know, even being in the land did not satisfy them. They wanted something more. They wanted a king. They wanted other gods. And then God sends them into captivity and so they're in a place that they didn't choose and then they just wish to go back to where they were. Does that, does that resonate with you? They had a kind of anything but this mentality. Just want to get back to normal. The next thing will make me happy. Or if I could only go back to the past thing, I would be happy. And we find ourselves either singing, tomorrow, tomorrow, I love you, tomorrow, or yesterday. That sounded pretty good, didn't it? No, it did. You guys are lying. We spend so much time longing for that something, that next thing, or sometimes the old thing, and yet God wants us to long for him now. And as we long for the future or, or long for the past, these become wasted years. Say that with me, wasted years. The Israelites missed it. Most of them, 84%, right? And that's not bad. That's sad. And so they have to wander another 37 years before they experience the land. They missed the moment they were in. They were on the verge of amazing. 
but they missed it because they looked for the moment rather than who was in the moment with them. See, even the promised land is not a promised land without the promise. Did you see what I just did there? See, the promised land without the promise is just a nice place to live. It's a great neighborhood. And I think all of us are wishing certain things away far and beyond what we're experiencing today nationally. Life goes on and there, you know, there are constant challenges in living that life. Is it about where we want to be or where God wants to be in us? And if we waste these years, what God has put before us in this moment, how many of us will fall in the wilderness unnecessarily? I'm gonna ask the band to come up. And I wanna put a verse up while they're uh, coming up. This is from the Psalms, and I think it experiences the heart of what I'm talking about here. When the psalmist says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. You get what the psalmist is saying, that there's, I, w- I would rather be here in this moment. You know, the picture there that he's, he's worshiping in the temple, and he's sitting there in front of God, which as Christians we can, as Christians we can do anywhere, right? And he's conscious of God's presence in his life. He's saying, I would rather be in this moment than anywhere else. I would rather be leaning into the one who is the promise maker than to continue a fruitless search for a perfect utopia. I wonder, as Christians who are in the world today, what, what are we missing that is right in front of us in this moment? You see, for the Israelites and, and for us, the, the promise is a relationship with God. If you're watching this sermon online and you're not a Christian, God invites us to partner with him. He invites us into a relationship with him. It's not about becoming religious. It's not about, you know, just shedding some bad habits. It's not about joining a church. It's about the opportunity to have a relationship with the living God. It was never about the land. This journey was not about this place. It was about the invitation by God, from God, to people to be in a relationship with him in which he never forsakes us. To experience life through the lens of I'm walking through this moment in this situation, in tomorrow's situation, in relationship with the living God and the blessing that comes to the world when people do so. So, I know that it's uncomfortable to sit here with our masks on and that's just kind of like a symbol of what we're all experiencing. 
And as I mentioned, there's like, that's just like the, the deep and like the, the widespread trial, but all of us are in the middle of our own individual trials, and yet God is with us. So take courage, my heart. Stay steadfast, my soul. He's in the waiting. And hold on to your hope as your triumph unfolds. He's never failing. Let's stand and sing that together as a prayer to God. Thank you.